Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the Gospel of John in chapter 4? John in chapter 4, we are continuing our modest pace through the book of John as we discover what it means to believe. John has written this book. The Holy Spirit has carried him along writing this book so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. And every single word and sentence that is strung together in this book is meant to elicit, to strengthen your belief, to draw out the belief, and to cause you to be fruitful. We began in chapter 1 looking at Jesus in eternity past. We've been introduced to several personalities along the way, different disciples. We've been introduced uh, to uh, John the Baptist. We've been introduced to Nicodemus. And this week we will be introduced to a relative nobody. And we will see how God goes out of the way for the nobody. Can I get an amen? God goes out of the way for the nobody. The title of our message today is the God who goes out of the way. John chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have, nothing to, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You were right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus answered her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. Let's pray. Father, I need your guidance and your help today. What a wonderful passage of scripture that beckons us to gaze upon Jesus today in your word. And Lord, I don't want to mess it up. I pray that you would use my weakness and perfect your strength. Lord, I pray that the power of your gospel would be heard here today and that those who are lost would be saved. God, that those who are saved will be drawn closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 4 lies in stark contrast to how we began chapter 3. If you will recall in chapter 3, and just look over there briefly, you'll see that we began not in the daytime, but in the nighttime. Not an open meeting, but a very secret meeting. And we visit with, in chapter 3, a member of the Sanhedrin, a very powerful man who is religiously a part of the elite. And here we are in chapter 4, meeting with someone entirely different. It's also different because Nicodemus was the one who searched out Jesus. He said that he believed him. Jesus wasn't sure that he believed that belief. But here we find Jesus meets with not the religious elite or not with a wealthy person, but rather with someone who is very poor, someone who is very despised, someone who's the low, lowest of the low, someone who is, he's going to have a meeting with in the middle of the day in a public location. And what we learn about Jesus in this passage is so beautiful and so glorious. How Jesus chooses the absolute lowest parts of society to reveal himself to. It speaks so much to the character of Jesus that he will personally reveal himself as Messiah to this nobody from nowhere. And so let's look at this passage piece by piece. First, I want you to see in verses 1 through 6, the road that was out of the way. The road that was out of the way. This will take a few moments to build up to. So I want you to hold tight. As we see the God who goes out of the way, we're going to see in verses 1 through 6, the road that was out of the way. Look with me in verse 1 again. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now there are lots of things that we tend to skim over when we read scripture. This seems to be just one of those connecting statements that we read over and there's no practical application that we generally find in here. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God's word is rich. 
And when we look at this passage, I want you to see that there's really the, the nail in the coffin for what people call, or what people refer to as baptismal regeneration. That is this, many people would say to you that it is baptism that saves you. Or perhaps if I were to ask you about your salvation today, maybe the first thing that you would tell me is the date and the place that you were baptized. But friends, I want you to know, baptism does not save you. Boy, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to amp up those amens, folks. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. It doesn't go without saying, as a matter of fact, throughout all of Scripture, throughout all the New Testament, we see that Jesus did uh, everything that he did was for the glory of his Father, for the salvation of his people. And here we see Jesus, and we learn of Jesus, that he is not the one who is actually baptizing, that his disciples are. Now, wouldn't it stand to reason, and doesn't it make sense for us to understand that if Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost, if Jesus came to provide salvation, that he would do everything that it requires to be saved. And yet here is Jesus. Here is Jesus proclaiming and providing everything that's needed for the gospel. And he's not baptizing. His disciples are. Baptism is extremely important. It's our first act of obedience, brothers and sisters. If you have been saved, if you've called upon Jesus as Savior and Lord and repented of your sins, and you've not been baptized on that side of your salvation, you need to be. It's our first act of obedience. It's signifying to the world, it's signifying to the church that we have died to ourselves and that we have risen with Christ in, in a newness of life. But there's nothing about that water that saves you. Jesus is the one who saves. And here in this very first two verses, we see that Jesus is, even here I believe, showing us it is faith that brings salvation. But look with me in verse 4 as we continue to see the road that was out of the way. Verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. And he had to pass through Samaria. Whoever says that the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line is unfamiliar with this era. For Jesus to leave Judea and to go to Galilee, for him to head that way, the shortest distance with regards to miles and the quickest route there is going to be through Samaria. But every good Jew knew that you did not just pass through Samaria. There was a high cost for taking the quick route. And so many Jews would take alternate routes, either to the, to the east or to the west, and they would go around Samaria. Why? Because at this time, there was intense hatred that had been boiling over for centuries between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, brothers and sisters, you and I know that in our day and age, there is racial strife and there is racial issues and problems. And the Bible speaks to that very clearly. We as God's church say that racism is sin. Give me an amen. We as God's church say that you do not treat someone differently based upon the color of their skin or their culture or their language or their background. That's not a part of us. But you know, ever since uh, Adam and Eve took of that fruit, that forbidden fruit, hatred has taken root in the life of mankind. 
At the very heart of racism is hatred. And hatred had reached a fever pitch just years before between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated one another. There was brutal animosity between them. In a very real sense, it was, it was, a, it was a type of hatred and a, a type of animosity that's really almost unheard of today. It's kind of, we try to polish over those things, but, but here we see the Jews hated the Samaritans and it had been coming for a long time. You see, back in the day, King David was sitting on his throne and he left the throne, God left the throne rather, to his son Solomon. Solomon was wise, although he was also very foolish. But Solomon had expanded the kingdom. God had blessed them. And then when Solomon passed away, his son Rehoboam took the throne. Rehoboam did not take wisdom. And in the first few days of his first few weeks of his tenure as king, the nation of Israel, God's people, split into two. Ten nations to the north. And that northern kingdom would be called Israel, and one to the south that would be called Judah. Now Judah hosted Jerusalem, which had the temple, which was the place of worship. And the northern kingdom did not have a place of worship. And they did not want their people going back down to the temple. And so the northern kingdom would make temples and begin to make idols. And it wasn't long before the northern kingdom and their capital, Samaria, became uh, just a, a an epicenter of evil and idolatry. They were a people who were impure. They did not uh, cling to God's word. They did not cling to God's statutes. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were not a pure people. To come into contact with them would be to jeopardize your cleanliness. Uh, to, to touch them, to speak with them during this time would have been uh, to alienate yourself from being able to worship uh, their Lord at the temple. And likewise, the Samaritans hated the Jews. Those Jews were uppity, holier than thou, untouchable. And yet Jesus takes the route straight through Samaria. There is a road that is inconvenient, that is out of the way, that Jesus must take. That Jesus is compelled by the will of the Father to take. And so Jesus beelines his way to Galilee with a pit stop in Samaria. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Right here we learn of Jesus' humanity. He's weary. He's tired. As uh, evangelical believers, we focus a lot on Jesus being fully God. And he was. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, he was fully man too. He experienced all of the difficulties that you feel, all of the stress, all of the pain, all of the, the problems that arise in your life, he endured as well. Only he endured without fault and without sin. The scripture teaches us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 17 through 18 that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want you to know this. There's nothing that you go through that Jesus can't identify with. 
or we're often, that's often the, the main point of who we're going to get counseling from. Do they know what I've gone through? Can they speak to what I've gone through? Have they endured this difficulty? If not, they don't have the ability to speak into my life, or so we say. And yet Jesus endured everything. And he's able to speak in to our lives. By the way, he has the authority. He would have never had to endure all those things. He never had to do that to, to have authority uh, over our lives. He is God. He is who he is. And so he can command those things. But here we learn that he, he was weary. And I, I want to suggest to you that we don't quite understand the weariness that Jesus went through. Because Jesus is perfect and holy completely satisfied in and of himself. He, the Father, the, the Son, the Holy Spirit, sweet fellowship in all of eternity. And yet here he is, holy in the midst of sinners. Maybe we never will really understand the weariness that Jesus had. This holy God surrounded on every side by sin. And he's weary. So he sits down at the well the Bible says it's about the sixth hour. That is noon. That's the hardest part of the day. No one goes to get water at this time, especially in the New Testament era. You go during the cool of the day. You get a group of people. You go to a well. You go to a water source. You get the water in the cool of the day. Not here when the sun is at its hottest. And we see in verses 1 through 6... That Jesus has taken a road that was out of the way. Look secondly here, the woman that was out of the way. It's noon, it's hot, the sun is beating down. Everyone else who is working is taking a break in some shade somewhere. They're taking their afternoon nap. They can't get anything done in this intense heat. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. A Samaritan, here we find a Samaritan seeking to hide from Samaritans. A sinner ashamed among sinners. The worst of the worst. She is so ashamed, she cannot be seen with other people. She does not want to be seen with other people. And so she chooses high noon to come and to do this, this very hard work of drawing water and taking it back to her residence. She chooses the most difficult time of the day because she doesn't want to be seen by anyone else. She doesn't want to be interrupted by anyone else. She goes alone with her jar and her plans for none to interrupt, none to help. Because why should this day look like any other day? No one has truly cared for her. No one has ever really given her anything of substance. And here she comes to the well intentionally. Avoiding condemnation, avoiding judgment, avoiding the looks of other people's eyes. She comes to the well. And then Jesus says to her in verse 7, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Now this is a major no-no. Only Jesus would have the audacity to do something like this. You see, not only was he unclean. I mean, here he is in chapter 3. Nicodemus had said, we know that you're a rabbi and that God is with you. He's an up-and-coming rabbi. The last thing you want to do is jeopardize your influence. I mean, you want to be above reproach, right? You want to uh, have every appearance of evil as being away from you. And yet, here is Jesus engaging and talking to 
a Samaritan. He asked her for a drink. So the conversation would have made him unclean. Drinking from her jar would have made him unclean. And what's furthermore, in this time in the New Testament, it was unheard of of men to speak to women in public. Not even their own wives. Rabbis would most certainly not have theological discussions with a woman in public. And yet here is Jesus breaking all of these norms, addressing this woman that is out of the way. Did he have to stop in Samaria? Did he have to take the road? No. Did he have to stop and talk to this woman? Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She acknowledges it. It's strange. It's awkward. Why are you talking to me? We don't talk to one another. And Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She has no idea who she's speaking to. For those of us who have often said, I chose Jesus first. Yeah, I chose him first. I loved him first. Friends, Jesus chose us first. Jesus loved us first. We would have never acknowledged him had he not. This woman is coming to the well at the, at the hottest part of the day. She has no idea that her day and her life is about to be changed forever. And Jesus stops her. He says, if you knew it, if only you knew, you would ask me and I would give you, I would give you living water. Water that would have no end. Jesus extends an invitation to the least of these up front. He says, if you knew, I would give you living. Just ask me, I'll give you living water. Now, she doesn't understand. All she thinks about is the physical. All she thinks about is what is right in front of her. Verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. See, she's thinking physical. She's thinking about that well. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. She doesn't understand that he has come to save her. Again, how wonderful, brothers and sisters, to know that that was once, we were once like that too, by the way. Jesus first dealing with our hearts. We're concerned about all these other things, and yet he's just still persistent. Our minds are down here. His is up there. And she says, well, I mean, I, how, how am I supposed to get this living water? How are you supposed to get it? The well is deep. And no one knew how deep that well was, but her, she was all too familiar with how deep that well was. Day after day, week after week, month after month, she had cast her pail into the well to draw out water that would never satisfy. She carried it back alone. And then every day she'd have to come back by herself and get that water that had run out the day before. It didn't last. Verse 13, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is, is 
trying to share more with her of the gospel. He's revealing more of the plan of salvation to her. He's saying, listen, you're casting your pail down into this well, but I've come to be a spring in your heart for living water welling up into eternal life. Do you see how out of the way this woman was, despised by everyone else, unliked so much that she has to come up in the middle of the day when no one else is to get water? Unclean? She's even back-talking Jesus? And Jesus is still sitting here offering. She still doesn't understand. Is there ever a point when you're explaining something to somebody and you go, never mind. They don't get it, and they don't get it, and you go, Never mind. I'm wasting my time. Sarah says, yeah, I understand that a lot, okay? But there are those times where you're explaining something to somebody and you're like, I, you cannot, you don't have the, you do not have the capacity to understand this. I have, a, I have a new dog and I'm trying to explain my rules to our new dog and that dog does not understand. I, no, you don't eat my electrical cords. You don't do that, okay? But dog doesn't understand. The woman says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's still thinking about that water. And yet, from the beginning of time, Jesus had planned to go out of his way for her. Jesus said to her in verse 6, Go call your husband. Come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five. The one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. All of a sudden, Jesus confronts her. And you're going to see the eyes are going to be opened after this. He, he makes sure that even though she knows that he's weary and that he has flesh and he is flesh, we see he has supernatural wisdom. He knows you. He knows everything about you. You can't hide it from him. Five husbands, five husbands, and the one that she is with right now is not her husband. This woman has a problem. This woman has a difficulty in her life. Is it, does she, is it just a problem that the men can't stand her? Is she, is she constantly unfaithful? What is going on in her her life. She's not lovable. Five different men and the one she is with right now is not her husband. It's no wonder the women don't want to go to the well with her. They don't want her to wreck their home as well. She's totally unloved. She's totally out of the way. No one has stuck by her. The one she's with right now hasn't even married her. And yet Jesus has gone out of his way for her, which brings us to our third point when her eyes are opened up in verse 19. And I want you to see this and to mark it down. I want you to see the salvation that was out of the way. In verse 19, she, she hears the, the sin that he's brought forward. By the way, Jesus didn't placate. He didn't, he didn't try to... Uh, um, would just kind of forget those things and you can be whoever you want to be. Jesus confronts sin, by the way. That's what Jesus does. His death is a major confrontation of our sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He atones for it. The woman says to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place 
where we ought to worship. Her mind is focused now on spiritual matters, not that water in that well. Her mind is focused on spiritual matters. And she says, she wants to be right. She's, she says, y'all say we worship on that mountain. We say we worship right here. Which is it? And Jesus tells her, Believe me, the hour is coming, in verse 21, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And then go to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals himself to this nobody from nowhere. He took a road that was out of the way to meet a woman that was out of the way. And friends, I want you to know salvation is out of the way. It was always a part of God's plan. He had always planned from eternity past that Jesus would die for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he would be raised again. All of that is according to his plan, but he went out of his way to make it happen. Jesus has always been satisfied in and of himself. Eternity past, eternity future. God does not need you. He does not need me. He does not need this creation. He does not need anything to exist. Before he created the angels to sing and the heaven that would echo those praises, he was completely satisfied in and of himself, and he needed nothing to be added to that. And yet I want you to know salvation is out of the way. It was out of the way. Bethlehem and that manger was out of the way. Samaria was out of the way. The woman at the well was out of the way. There's a road that leads up Mount Calvary that was out of the way. There's a cross and three nails that were out of the way. There's a borrowed tomb that was out of the way. Jesus went out of the way so that he could make a way for us. That's what this is about. He confronts the least of these and he, he shows her that he has gone out of his way to save the least of these. He's left the 99 to find the one. And we often wonder, God, have I, have, can I do something that would make you not want me anymore? Or, or perhaps you're out here today and you, you're not saved. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And you'd say, uh, I've got these addictions in my life, the, the drugs, alcohol. I have other addictions in my life that I'm too ashamed to even mention. Maybe you say, I've got these addictions and there's no way that Jesus could love me. I want you to know this. Jesus left his kingly throne in heaven, took on flesh, not just for 33 years, but to unite himself with mankind for all of time, lived a perfect life, went to that cross, died on it for me and for you, and rose again on the third day. He went out of the way to make a way for you and for me at his own expense by his own sacrifice Jesus goes out of the way and he's going to change the life of this woman at the well he's going to change her as we'll see next week to the witness at the well but as for today my question for you is do you know this Jesus do you fully appreciate how he's gone out of the way for you the sacrifice we sing songs like 
there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. But do you know the pain and the high cost that it took for you and I to be forgiven of our sins? Jesus went out of the way to make a way for us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.